you're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. So check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. seems to be a disproportionate amount of people in the back, but my family's back there too. We are going to close out uh, Hebrews today, and it's a pleasure to be with you actually in person and to worship together. Hebrews closes with what is basically a sermon, and it closes with some personal notes by the individual who we don't know who wrote this letter and this sermon to the people that received the book. And we see a strong emphasis on the importance of prayer in the last section of Hebrews. And I think it's very important for us in our age today. As Nathan said, my family and I are are, ministering in Japan. We're on a missionary team there. And I received just last week an email from our missionary team leader. And the subject of the email said, please pray for me. And he sent this out to our team in a detailed different requests that he had for us. And one of the things he said in this email is, would you please pray that I would have a regular outpouring of grace on my life so that I can be humble and I can lead our team well and I can have a clear vision for the direction to go. This was a leader asking the people that he is leading and guiding for prayer. Our team leader, John, has learned the secret of the blessedness of weakness before God. When we ask God for prayer, it is an expression of humility. When we ask for people to pray for us and when we say, I need help in this area, I need God to bless me, to give me wisdom, to give me vision, whatever it might be, it is an expression of our need for God. And he's learned the blessedness of that weakness before God. And we see that also in the early church. And we see it come out today in the book of Hebrews. this spiritual leader over these people begins his closing section with a request for prayer. And if we understand what my team leader John understands and what the early church, as expressed here in Hebrews, understands and what missionaries and Christian leaders throughout the ages have understood, we will be in a better place to receive God's power and working in our lives and in our ministries. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China in the 19th century, he said, all of God's giants have been weak men, and we could also say women, who have done great things for God because they reckoned on God's being with them. All of God's giants have been weak people who have done great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them, or they depended on God being with them to work through them. And so we see some of that dependence on God expressed through prayer in our section today in Hebrews. Now, when we come to the scriptures, it's very rare for us to have a situation in which the way that we're living today in our church situation is exactly the same as the one that we see in the Bible. And that's the case here. This is a spiritual leader. He's not necessarily their pastor, He's separated from them, so he's not at this time ministering among them. So it's not exactly what we have here with this body meeting together and pastors that live in the city and that see us weekly. However, there are still some big principles that we can take away from this text 
and apply to our situation today here at Redeemer. So it's not the exact same situation that he's writing into, but there are some principles, and there are four that I want to share that we see clearly in our text. They're very simple. First, Redeemer Church, pray for your leaders. Pray for the leaders that God has placed over you and in your life. Secondly, on the flip side, the leaders of Redeemer are called to pray for the people of the church. So it goes both ways. We're praying for them, and they're praying for us. Third, the writer encourages the people that have just received this book to think carefully and to listen deeply to the main themes of this book. So at the end of it, he basically encourages them, review what I've already given you in this book. So we're going to do that today a little bit as we listen carefully to the main themes that we've seen expressed in Hebrews. And finally, this writer calls this church to be connected with the larger body of Christ. Outside of their city and outside of their area, they're to be connected with the larger body of Christ. So, we pray for the leaders of Redeemer, they pray for us, we remember the main themes of Hebrews, and we want to be connected with the larger body of Christ that extends just outside of this community here. So we're in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 18 to 25. I want to read it for us, and then we'll walk through it together. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. And with that, he closes the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is basically a sermon written to these people. And at the end of it, for the first time, now he mentions himself. The sermon has closed, and now he offers some personal remarks. He talks about travel plans, talks about a few logistics, and he asks for prayer for himself. But if you notice in verse 18, he says, pray for us. Now, people are divided. Does the us there mean that there's a team of ministers that are writing to the Hebrews? Or is he just trying to not make the focus about himself, so instead of using the first person, he sort of says, we, but it's, it's referring to himself. We don't know for sure. But whatever the case is, and the clear focus here is prayer. So this man, or maybe a team that he's ministering with, needs prayer. Now, a lot of what we see mentioned here in the closing of this book connects back to themes that have already been given in the book of Hebrews. So when he asks these people to pray for him, in his mind, it's probably what he's already expressed in Hebrews chapter 4, where he's explained that because of Jesus and because of the work of our high priest, we have access to God himself, and we can come boldly to God in times of need to ask for grace. There's that really powerful passage there where he expresses that access that we have to God. 
And so he's reminding them that they have the privileges that the priests of the Old Testament have to enter the presence of God and to pray and to ask for God's help. And he says, I want you to utilize this access that you have to God to go before God in times of need, and I want you to utilize it on my behalf and ask for God's help for me. And he mentions two specific but very different requests. The first request that he has is, pray for me that I would live an honorable life. The second one is, pray that I can come back and see you soon, that I can be restored to you. But before he gets to these specific requests, at the beginning of 18, he says this, pray for us because we're sure that we have a clear conscience. He brings up this idea of his conscience before he gives them these requests. Now, conscience is also a theme that has already been explained in Hebrews. Three times at least, it's mentioned. Now, if you've been with us through the book of Hebrews, you know that one of the main themes of this book is the superiority of Jesus. If you remember that, especially from the beginning, right? Jesus is greater. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than all of the prophets. And also, his sacrifice is greater than the Old Testament sacrifices. And usually in the book of Hebrews, before this point, when the idea of conscience is mentioned, it's mentioned in relation to these Old Testament sacrifices. And so the idea is this. Before Jesus comes and before he dies, in the Old Testament order, all of these animal sacrifices are happening constantly. But Hebrews is very clear that these sacrifices could only cleanse on a surface level. To be sprinkled with the blood or to be sprinkled with the purified water only cleansed a person in a ceremonial way. But it re- they retained a consciousness of sins. So the conscience is not purified by the death of the sacrificial animal in the Old Testament. Only a ceremonial cleansing is offered, and yet the sinner still knows that his sin still remains. But Jesus comes, and his sacrifice goes deeper. His sacrifice cleanses to the deepest parts, to the conscience. And so the worshiper goes away now, connected with Jesus in a purified way that a bull or a goat or a ram could not provide for before he comes. So the conscience is cleansed through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're not perfect, but we're purified. And so what he seems to be saying here is, my conscience is clear. I'm not perfect, but I know that I've been cleansed and I've examined my life as a minister. And from this position of being connected with Jesus, I'm asking for your prayers as one who has enjoyed this cleansed conscience that goes to the deepest part of me not just on a superficial level. So he's keeping that in mind, and then he says, pray for me that I would live this honorable life. But notice what he says here. I'm sure that I have a clear conscience, and I desire to act honorably. One thing is certain. The clear conscience because of the work of Jesus is something he can be sure about. But on the other hand, there's a desire. A desire indicates that it might not necessarily come to pass. Can you see that? One is certain. I, my conscience is clean because of Christ, but I desire to act honorably. Can you see what he's doing? This is a man in need who says, I know as a Christian minister, I can screw this up. It's very possible for me to act in a shameful and dishonorable way, but I don't want to do that. 
And so I need God's help, and I need you to pray that God would give me this help so that I might act in an honorable way. Last week, in the passage preceding this, this idea of spiritual leaders has already been brought up. And Greg preached last week, and he talked about the fact that this passage preceding this one says, Christian leaders will give an account to God. So God is watching the spiritual leaders that he has placed over churches. But Greg mentioned the fact that people are also watching. And oftentimes the Christian minister feels like he's under a microscope. Every conversation he has, every off-the-cuff comment that he makes, everything he posts on the internet, people are watching. And that pressure is great because the minister does not want to screw it up, but he knows that he can, and so he needs God's help and he needs he needs God's prayers, or he needs prayers for God to move. There was a Christian philosopher, a Christian apologist named Ravi Zacharias, and he died just within the last month. And his job was to go around the country and around the world, basically, and to visit different university campuses and share the message of Jesus. And in these encounters, he would often deal with students that didn't believe in Jesus and they were challenging him and asking him questions. And so he was representing Jesus in these very hostile environments sometimes. And I remember him telling a story about a visit that he made to the University of Iowa. And he had a husband and wife that were friends of his that uh, were teachers on staff at the University of Iowa. And they were going to come to this event that he was having one evening and they invited one of their coworkers, another professor there who was not a Christian. And so they went to this event together. They listened for several hours as he shared about the gospel of Jesus and as he answered questions from different students. And on the way home, this couple was talking with their friend that they invited. And they said to her, what did you think? And she said, it was a very interesting evening. And he said a lot of interesting things. But I wonder how his personal life is. You get that. She listened to the message. She was intrigued by his presentation of the gospel, but one of the first things that she wondered was, is this guy genuine? I wonder how his personal life is. So people are watching, and oftentimes the conduct of the preacher is more impactful than the message that they share. And so this minister knows that, and he needs prayers. So the first big principle that we have here, Redeemer Church, pray for your spiritual leaders. Not just Greg, not just Nathan, the ones that do the bulk of the preaching, your community group leaders, your serve team leaders, those that God has gifted this church with in order to lead and to guide it, pray for these people because they need to act honorably in all things, but it's possible for them to not do that. So the question that I want to ask is, for those of you who critique for those of you who criticize, maybe you never voice these criticisms of the leaders here, but they're in your mind. Do you pray for them as much as you criticize? When you see shortcomings and maybe you're seeing a real issue, maybe it needs to be discussed, but it's so easy to critique and just leave it there. Are you praying for the leaders of this church that they might act honorably and might be filled with God's Spirit so that they can lead well? That is a very important question that's a legitimate question from this text. The second prayer request is this. 
And it's a very different one. Verse 19, I urge you the more earnestly to pray for us in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So now he totally shifts from a prayer about his personal life and about his integrity and about acting with honor to this. I want to come back and see you, but I'm separated. We don't know why he's separated. We don't know why he's not with them. But there is a Christian unity and a Christian love that draws him back to these people. He wants to see them, but something has prevented that. And so now he just says, I want to see you. I want to be with you. I want to minister among you again. And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. Would you please pray for that? I think this is very amazing. These prayer requests are totally different. And it shows us that God cares about the non-spiritual things. He's not just praying for his lifestyle. He's praying, hey, I want to see you. I can't get back there. Help me. Pray for me. Let me see you. So that gives us this great, big, wide berth for us to pray for everything in our life and for everything in our spiritual leaders' lives that we see as a need. And I love that. We go to God because we need Him for everything. And we see that expressed here in the non-spiritual and in the spiritual requests, travel issues and lifestyle issues. In verse 20, I love what he does here. He's just gotten... He's just finished saying, pray for me. And then he turns it around and he prays for them. And he offers a prayer for them. So he offers for them what he wants them to do for himself. So the first thing we see is, Redeemer, pray for your leaders. The second thing we see is, leaders of Redeemer, pray for your people. He's just got done expressing his great need for God to do something because he knows he can't do it himself. He's just got done expressing the fact that God must work and God's power must be the focus. And now he offers them a prayer showing them an example of what this lifestyle and what this attitude looks like. So we're going to read this benediction. And it's important for us to understand it's a prayer, but it's not just a hope or a wish. It's also a blessing, right? So he's praying for God to do something in these people, but it's also this blessing and this expectation that indeed God will do this. And it's a really beautiful, beautiful prayer. And I want to read it, but I want you to put yourself in the place of one of the first century recipients of the book of Hebrews. Imagine that you've come out of Judaism. You've learned that Jesus the Messiah is the ultimate sacrifice. And once and for all, His death on the cross and His resurrection ends the need for any animal to ever be sacrificed again. You've heard this glorious truth, but part of you is being called back to your religious roots in Judaism. It's comfortable. It's understandable. It's powerless but it's comfortable, these rituals that you've come out of. And so part of you is being drawn back to that, and that's why he's writing in the book of Hebrews, don't turn back. Don't go back to these dead ways. There's no power there because Jesus is the end all for these sacrifices. But still, they're being pulled back. And I want you to imagine that this letter has just been delivered, and this Christian community is coming together, and someone's going to read it, probably all in one setting. And you've just been stirred to believe in Jesus and to not turn your back. And then you hear this prayer for you at the end. And maybe the reader lifts his hand and God's blessing above you. And he reads this benediction upon you. And I want you to imagine the power 
and the strength and the encouragement that you receive in your soul to hear, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And imagine your heart is filled with peace, this peace from God as you reflect once again on the power of Jesus. Basically, may God equip you and do in you the things you can't do for yourself. May He work in you something that's pleasing to Him through the power of our resurrected King. When I'm in Japan, I'm dealing with oftentimes people that have no former... Uh, connection with Christianity, and they know very little about it. And oftentimes I'm surprised that they come to church at all to hear the Bible at all, because why would they? There's, there's no understanding for most of the people why the Bible is important or why it's powerful or why it should have authority over us. And so I could give them lots of reasons about the predictions in the Bible that have come true or the prophecies or all of these other um, different facts. But oftentimes what I just tell them is one of the ways we can see that the Bible is true is how relevant and how powerful it is in our lives even today, even though it's so old. And we see that this morning in this text because you can imagine how this benediction would be so powerful for a first century Christian struggling with their faith, but it's no less powerful for us today, is it? We read about this God of peace and we read about the things He's done, and so now I want you to not put yourself in the perspective of of a first century Christian. I want you to think of our moment today in the 21st century, with all that's happening in our world and in our hearts and even in our midst. And I want you to think about how this connects with us today. I love how this starts by calling God the God of peace. This is not just a cheap word that the author chose and said, okay, we'll call him the God of peace. There is importance and a very specific uh, meaning here that's for them and also for us. Think about that. This is the God of peace. This is the God who brings peace in our hearts, but also the God that provides peace between us in the church. So we need God's peace today while the world burns. Disease, hatred, racism, brokenness, confusion, chaos. And then we hear the God of peace. May He work in our hearts and bring that peace but may He also provide that peace between us, between people, black, white, brown, Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, all coming together. And I think recently this church has been strained as some of the challenges of this moment have even pressed in upon us. And what do we need? We need God's peace at work, not only internally, but between us. Because would anyone use the word peace to characterize this moment in our society and in our hearts? I don't think so. So, may God's peace reign in our midst. Only the resurrection power of God can work to do this. This is the only time in the book of Hebrews that the resurrection of Jesus is mentioned. And it's in this benediction, and it's this reminder that God, the same God who awakened Jesus on Easter morning, will give us that power in our midst 
to do these things in us that we cannot produce in ourselves. Only God's power can change that, and that is what we must always keep in our minds. As we look at this moment that we're living in today, many people are offering solutions for this racism, this systemic racism that we see. But if the solution does not involve God, the God that made us, and only the, the only one that can change our hearts, they will always fall short. Only the resurrection power of Jesus can turn the heart of a racist into the heart of one who loves the other, who looks differently than them because of God and because of God's image on that person. Only God's resurrection power can change the system. No politician, no new formulas, no new people brought in to move out the old, no human solution can fix the pollution of the heart and the pollution of this system. And it must be coming from God. And that's what we see here. So this is a God of peace. This is a God with resurrection power. And this is a God in verse 21 who will equip us with everything good that we may do His will. It's also important to note that two times in this short benediction, eternity is mentioned. I think in this moment, we're so tempted to think this is all that matters. This moment right here, right now, where we find ourselves living, this is all that matters. And it's very hard to zoom out, but notice in this passage here, Jesus has enacted an eternal covenant through His death and resurrection. There's something eternal that outlives this moment. And then at the end, Jesus Christ is worthy of glory forever and ever. There is a forever after this moment. And for those who have been connected with Jesus by this new covenant, we will live with Him when all racism and pandemics and hatred and confusion and chaos will be gone and God will be all in all. And we're reminded of that moment here in this benediction. In verse 21, when it says that God will equip us with every good thing, God will produce in us, God will work in us, the word equip in the original language was used of a bone that has been broken and it's being set right by a doctor. That's extremely powerful for us because this idea of brokenness is very easy for us to understand. He's praying here that God would fix the areas and people that are broken and that are out of place. This is a need that has always existed. A man preached a sermon on this passage 140-some years ago in England. His name was Charles Spurgeon, and he's preaching on this, and he's looking at this idea of God equipping us. And this is what he said. The meaning of the text is this. By the fall, that is by Adam and Eve's sin that's passed on to us, all of our bones are out of joint for doing the Lord's will. And the desire of the apostle here is that the Lord will set their bones in their places and thus make us able with every faculty to do God's will. The apostle is writing here to the people and he's saying things are broken in your midst. Things are out of place in your midst and God is at work to set those right. So the question for you is, where do you sense that brokenness? Where do you sense that something in your heart, in your soul, in your mind is dislocated and you need God to put it right? Where do you see that in this church? And where do you see that in our society? 
God Himself will equip and set these bones right through the power of Jesus Christ. And we can pray for that end and expect that to happen here in our midst and in our hearts. That is the privilege that we have as the people of God, that God is at work to do that. After this benediction that he gives in verse 22, he moves on, and this is his section of final greetings. And this is what he says. He says that he wants them to bear with him because he's written to them briefly. And he's basically saying, please pay close attention to what I wrote to you. I didn't write that much. It wasn't a lengthy sermon, so please pay attention. Now, you might think this is 13 chapters. This is pretty lengthy. This doesn't seem brief. The original hearers probably would have had it read all at once, and if you read it straight through, it usually takes about an hour. So maybe because you have potentially heard some preachers that potentially go much longer than an hour on occasion, this does seem brief. That's all I'm saying. But he's telling them, I want you to recall the main themes of this book. So this is the third principle that we can get here. After this idea of us praying for our leaders and our leaders praying for us, we should remember and pay close attention to what we've seen in the book of Hebrews. So what are some of the main points? What has this sermon set up for the readers? Well, to put it briefly, maybe just a few bullet points, this is what we've seen throughout Hebrews. Jesus is supreme. He is the exact representation of God in a human body. He's greater than all prophets and angels and sacrifices, but He's also our brother. It's so powerful in the early parts of Hebrews. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He brings us into the family of God, lifts us up to Himself, and says, I'm not ashamed that I'm related to you. And because of our brother, and because of his finished work, and because of his high priestly work, we have the privilege of having access to God himself. Now just think about that for a moment in relation with the background that these people are coming out of. They've grown up in a system where they can't get to God, and the high priests can go into the Holy of Holies one time every year, but the people can't go in. And even then, it's a very serious and dangerous undertaking to enter God's presence. And then Jesus, the ultimate lamb, comes, the shepherd and the lamb at the same time, and he dies, and his blood purifies us, and now we get to go into God's presence anytime, with any need, in any place, and have access to him as our father and as our friend. Jesus has won that for us. And we're very used to that because we've grown up in the church. That is a stunning proposition for this man to write here. And it's even more stunning that it's true. So Jesus has won for us access at all times to the living God who is a consuming fire. Not only that, He helps us when we're tempted. He doesn't come, rescue us, save us, and then leave us and say, I've done my job, you're in the family, now I'm done. He saves us, and then He stays with us, and He says, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you, and when you're tempted, I can help you. If we allow these themes to just rest on our heart, and we allow the weight of these to capture our hearts, Hebrews is such a powerful 
and beautiful book. But we're not only connected with Jesus, we're connected with our forefathers and foremothers in the faith who have gone before us. And that's what we see in Hebrews chapter 11. People have gone before walking in faith, connected with God and believing the promises of God well before Jesus came. And they died without seeing the full expression of the promise of God, but they believed it. And so as they show us what faith looks like in a hostile world, if you remember, they're living in caves, they're getting sawn in two, all of these terrible things are happening, but they die in faith, they also bolster our faith. So we're not only connected with Jesus, we're connected with our other brothers and sisters that have gone before and we receive power from them. So they're behind us, but what is before us? The city of God. We're going for a city that is not broken. We're heading toward a city whose builder and founder is God, where black, white, brown all come together in harmony and unity under King Jesus who died to rescue people from around the globe. That's what we see in Hebrews. In verse 23, he says, You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Now, this is totally related to this, the, the recipients of this book. It's hard for us to apply this here. We don't even know who this Timothy is. Could be the Timothy that Paul writes to in the New Testament. We don't know. But this man may be released from prison soon, or he has been released, and hopefully he can come and visit together with him soon. And then finally, here's our fourth principle in verse 24. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. What I think is important for us here is they're connected with this group of Christians that are from Italy. We don't know if that means these people are from Italy and now they're away from Italy and they're sending their greetings back. So this book, maybe the recipients lived in Italy or maybe they just are in Italy. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. But what we see here is the first Christians in the first century were connected with other groups of Christians that were outside of their context. So the fourth principle for us is Redeemer. Let's be connected with the larger body of Christ. This group from Italy is sending greetings. Somehow, some way, they know of this group that's receiving the book of Hebrews. They're connected with them in faith. They love them. They send greetings. And there's a connection there. One of the first times I think I ever heard prayer mentioned for other churches in Springfield was here at Redeemer. And I was so impressed with it because we often have this sort of competition mentality for some reason where they're over there and we're doing our thing. No, we should be praying for other communities of faith under the Lord Jesus, both in this city and in the world. And that also harkens back to earlier in Hebrews chapter 13, where he says, remember those who are in prison and pray for them. In other words, you should be aware of what's happening in the body of Christ. You should be aware that Christians around the world today are in prison and are suffering and are dying for their faith in Christ. And that should matter to you, and you should know about it. So, Redeemer, let's be connected with the larger body of Christ that goes outside of these walls. And in so doing, we will be following our Christian forefathers and foremothers here in the faith. So we've seen four big things as we close the book of Hebrews. Redeemer, pray for your leaders. Leaders, pray for the people that God has placed you over. 
remember these big themes of this book and let them work inside your heart and also be connected with churches outside of this place, outside of Redeemer. What I'd like to do is invite all of you to pray. I want to take just a moment. If you attend this church, even if this is your first time here, the leaders need your prayer. They need your prayers right now because they're broken just like you and they need Jesus just like you and they don't want to be on a pedestal. Would you pray for them? And Would you pray that they would live honorable lives and that they would lead this church well? And for those of you in here that are community group leaders and pastors and elders and serve team leaders, take a moment to pray for the people that God has brought here, for the people, especially the pastors and the elders, that God has placed you over. You over. Earlier in this chapter, he says, the leaders are given to keep watch over your souls. What a very serious responsibility. So as you watch over the souls of these people, pray. Let's take a moment and do this, and then I will close us.